1: It's the Toffee Web Podcast.
2: This will break Everton's way. Calvert Lewin laying it out wide
1: for McNeil just wanted room to get across, and he does, and the shot coming
0: in from Mikalenko. and again, he's done it! With his right boot, at the second time of asking... Vitale, Mikalenko Inside
1: seven minutes for Everton. His first effort was blocked,
2: but he wasn't to be denied. What was he doing inside that 18-yard box? Out wide they go. Matoma now on his left foot,
1: deflected in and deflected over Pickford. Everton a run done by a fluke. Sean, how do you reflect on that one? A point gained or two lost? In the- oh
3: no, it's definitely a point gained. They're a good outfit. Um, I mean, obviously we're you know very unfortunate. I think with a, a, a massive deflection um, after you know them not having many chances at all. Actually, I thought. The tactical side of the game was fantastic from the players. Um, you know, we know they're a team that play possession, you've got to be patient. You know, I have a tiny little um, question on our when we did turn it over, because we got in some brilliant positions today. Last season we we capitalised on them, today we didn't as much. But the work ethic of the players, three games in six days, virtually the same group. I mean, you know, the way that they're growing with the mentality to, to take on games is, is absolutely fantastic. So I'm absolutely delighted with that side of things. Hello Blues, welcome once again to the Toffee Web Podcast, coming to you in the wake of Everton's one-all draw with Brighton on Saturday, which was either a point gained or 2 dropped, depending on your point of view. The Toffees had victory in sight, having kept the Seagulls at bay for 83 minutes, but a horrible deflection of Ashley Young counted out Vitaly Mikalenko's first goal at Goodison Park, and the spoils were shared. Uh, We'll get into that and some of the debates that have sprung up in the aftermath, Uh, cast our minds forward to Saturday's trip to Selhurst Park, and at the end, uh, we'll touch on a topic that's been on top of mind in the world of English football in general recently, and that's the old chestnut of video assistant referees. Now, this week, I'm joined by two Pauls. Firstly, Paul Trail. How are you, mate?
2: Yeah, fine. Thank you, mate. Yeah, all good. Thanks. Thanks. Um... Yeah, wasn't just 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 saying off air, I wasn't at the game at the weekend. It was uh, I was away in away in Germany, just surrounded by Geordies because they're all over there for the uh <laughs> oh, for the, for the Dortmund right, yeah. game. But <laughs> yeah, but I did uh, I did manage to catch the catch the match at least on the in the pub. So all good, good. thanks.
3: Good. And uh, we're happy to have Paul McFarlane back on the Tough Podcast. Paul, it's been a while. How have you been?
1: i being be fine, Linda. Thanks for having me back on the show again. Always a pleasure to appear on this pod. It's definitely one of the best Everton pods out there. And I'm happy to comment I was not the game on Saturday, so I hopefully can give you a an in-person opinion about how, how I saw the game developed and the and the, uh, my view on whether it was a point gained or two lost.
3: Excellent. Excellent. Well, we're honored to have you back. Glad to have you here. And uh, well, let's start with that match against Brighton and Paul M. I'll I'll let you have the first word on this one, seeing as you were there. (laughs) Uh, We heard Sean Deitch obviously describe it in his press conference as a point gained, even though the Blues were leading with six minutes of the 90 to go. So do you agree or was it two points dropped?
1: Yeah, I think my clients agree with the manager's assessments. I was saying to Paul off before we started, it was, it was quite strange at the end of the game because there were people coming up by me quite frustrated that we hadn't won the match. Equally, there were a number of people delighted that we managed to get a point off a team. Let's face it, is in European competition, they are one of the best teams in the Premier League. So, I think overall, taking a rational view of it, uh, I, I think, I think. Given our home form, given that we lost four out of the previous five home games, I have to see a point gained at home to step forward. I think what added to the frustration was um there was a feeling amongst certain members of the fan base that we should have gone for the second goal, that we maybe sat back a bit too much in the second half. In defense of that, watching the game, I didn't really feel so bright to created that many chances. Uh, so from that point view, the organisation was first class. We, we, we sat back, we, we prevented Brighton from opening from opening us up. I uh, thought Branthwaite was actually magnificent again in defence. And I think one of the best decisions Sean Dice has made this year is being quite insistent that Branthwaite was not going to be sold during the summer. So I think he's reaping the benefit of that now. But, but overall, disciplined performance. And it's good to see an Everson team even though we can see that goal six minutes from the end. I think on the previous managers, that might have been a signal for the opposition to go and get a second or third goal in the remaining time. We never look like losing the game. So I see a few positives there. I think it, it works, you know, we were missing it on in midfield as well. So I, it, it's hard being positive, as never as a fan. It goes against the great <laughs> so loss, yeah. but... Uh, I, 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 I at the end of the if you'd said something before the game, would you take a point from a home game, uh, a home fixture against Bryson? Yeah, the answer to that would be definitely yes. So uh and delighted for Mikolenko, who I thought had his best game I've seen in Neverson shirt since since we signed him.
2: Yeah, I think we all agreed on Mikolenko. He was fabulous, wasn't he? It was, uh, what what gritty determination for that goal, wasn't it? He was really um winning the ball, getting into the box. Having a crack, having another crack at it, now really, really good. I think everyone's made up for him, aren't they? He seems a good, mm-hmm. good character, good lad, and he, he has had some stick, maybe unjustified maybe, but he's um, he's doing really, really well. What I, I think I, yeah, I, I don't know whether I saw it as a point gain or remember, or or a couple of points dropped. I mean, I felt when I say maybe it was more a couple of points dropped. I don't really, I'm not trying to have a go at Everton, and that I just feels like. Ugh, so frustrating because we were so close. Yeah, you know I mean, and that's so. Well, criticize and or the team. So I don't really have no real complaints about how we went about the game. I mean, that's Sean dice's template. That's what that's what he does, and he does it effectively. You know, what I mean, so mind very much of the um the Brentford win last season at home when we got an early goal and we were quite happy to defend the lead for the whole game. And he's good at that. He knows how to get a team organised to do that. But um what really just watching the match, and bear in mind I was watching it in a very tough angle in the corner of a pub with, with no with no match sound on. Um, so had yeah, some, Bundes, some Bundesliga on, so I, I, I could I, you know it's hard to get a, a great perception of it. But I remember saying to my mate while I was watching it like it's the first time I've, I, in a long time you've seen Everton scrap. And by scrap, I don't mean that in I mean that in the best positive sense, a best possible sense. I don't really probably going back to maybe David Morris, perhaps. I'm not so sure I've seen a team that fight for each other and fight for the shirt like that, like you know, make it so difficult for opposition. And I really like what Easton's Stilling at Evan at the moment, Sean Dice. I like the way they're going about that. We haven't seen that fight for player-to-player organisation. I don't know. Certainly not on the Marcus Silva. Certainly not on the Frank Lampard or Rafa Benitez. And, and you know, any, probably any of the others. You could say Carlo Ancelotti to an extent, but it was a different sort of model. You know, so it's only... It's, it's, it's real credit to Sean Dice the way he's got them got them doing that. And, um, yeah, just a lot of parallels to me to sort of how it was with Moyes. In the beginning, a little bit, we had a very, very small squad. i was just getting the best out of players and getting them digging in. And I just like to see it. It's just good to see him, um really sort of uh, developing a team that will scrap and fight for each other. i um, very unlucky with the goal at the end to concede like that. It maybe I it felt like there was so much space. On that side, maybe Ashley Young. Um, Ashley Unger, I thought that a really good game. Actually, it was maybe tucked in a bit too much, as it just seemed like, I don't know, maybe you could, uh, you could have made subs earlier. But again, he doesn't, does he? Sean <laughs> it works in <laughs> not making substitutions. He seems, it, seems reluctant to do that. So, given the form these last sort of half dozen games or so, it's really hard to be too critical of too much that he's done, really, because the, the good far outweighs the bad. So we've just gotta. Hope that sticks around and continues. And uh, yeah, just a um, bit unlucky at the end, but got to be happy with happy with the point on the outside, I suppose, looking in because they're a good team. And uh, you, you're right, Paul. You're taken that before the game, let's be fair.
3: Yeah, no, they, they are a good team. It's hard to keep the bigger picture in mind when, as I say, you're so close to getting a really good result. And the number of times under Deitch where we've either scored early or you know when we've got the goal, we've managed to sort of dig in you know, a lot of these conversations we might not be having if we had held out, you know. So it is just that just that frustration of, of of the goal. And, and as you say, I think Ashley Young was tucked in a bit too much. I think the only time that he had, almost in the entire game, given Matoma just that little bit of, of you know, given him an inch and unfortunately, uh, you know, he took it and, and it was an unfortunate uh, ricochet off his leg. Uh, but the performance as a whole, I think, pulled. T, you're exactly right. You know, saying that the, what Deitch has done in terms of, you know, the, the team's determination and togetherness, I mean, it was it was absolutely night and day from the same fixture in January, um, which, you know, as I said last week, I was there and it was just, it was, it, apart from maybe there was a result, I think in the late 90s when we were home to Coventry and we lost 2-0, that, was before the since that game, that was the worst performance I think I've witnessed in flesh. It was that bad. Um, and so when you look at just the difference in the performance and the difference in the in the way that uh, just the organization, and as you say, just that that kind of determination and, and fighting for the badge kind of thing, there, there was none of that you know, and, under Lampard back in January. So uh, that was you know, very very pleasing to see. Agreed on Michalenko, I think he's um. He's really developed in the last few months, developed the defensive side of his game. He's become a very solid left back. I hope now that the goal gives him that confidence to maybe try and get forward a lot more because I think that's obviously the, the aspect of, of our, both of our fullbacks really, particularly when Ashley Young is playing, is that we really don't have attacking fullbacks per se. And it'd be nice to sort of add that dimension because it just gives you opposition one more thing to to worry about rather than just sort of shackling the wingers. Um and then finally, on, on Jared Bradthwaite, it's funny, I actually thought it was his worst game so far, and yet he played well. So I think that just kind of is a measure of, of where this kid is um, in his development and where, and just the, the, the play that we have on our hands, because, you know, he made a couple of errors, and I think we were waiting for him to make a couple of errors to see how, you know, A, whether we obviously get punished, which we didn't, and whether he would get flustered. And of course he doesn't because the kid's just, you know, it's just unflappable. So, uh, yeah, I think that was great to see, you know, have a bad game and, and, you know, we don't lose. So, perfect.
1: Uh, I, I, and Lyndon, I mean, go back to Branford quite interesting, wasn't it? Because you referenced the, breath, uh, the Brighton game last season when you and Ferguson absolutely yeah. tore us apart during that game. This season, you and Ferguson gets pulled mm. up after 68 minutes because Branford shattered them so well. So I thought that's a really good indication of how well he's come on the out of Branford.
3: Yeah, because Ferguson is was, was a terrific striker on his day. Yeah. And yeah. as you say, in, in in January, he tore us apart. But, um, I mean, obviously one of the, the big talking points that came out of it was you know the issue the issue of just how much possession that we had compared to brighton's you know i think the point was made that we had something like 49% of the ball in that january game uh, and lost 4-1 obviously whereas the side with only 20% we almost won so uh, paul m is having that little of the ball at goodison park a problem or is it just a case of needs must at the moment
1: most well, to me, the possession stats are all about what you actually do when you have the ball. So you right. can have forty-nine percent possession and not to be do anything creative or effective with us. You yeah. can have twenty percent possession and actually you know create a few chances, a few opportunities, and actually be more of a, of a threat. So it depends on your interpretation. Uh, I mean, given the choice, of have forty-nine percent possession, getting be four-one, or having 20 percent possession, But well, it's <laughs> quite simply you know, a no-brainer, isn't it? But I mean, some of the other stats in that game are quite interesting, aren't they as well, because our XG was 0.77 compared to Brighton's 0.58. So, we're actually, you know, creating more opportunities. We had more shots on target than what they did. So, despite the low possession stats, when we had the ball, we utilised it quite quickly. And I think what those stats indicate about Everson's style of playing on the dice. and I know Paul's referenced now how much better we are playing on the short dice at the we get the ball from defence to attack far more quickly than we used to do on the previous managers, where sometimes the build-up would take about 12, 15 passes just gets us to the halfway line. Now we're using the wings really effectively with MacNeil and Harrison being available, and I think we're using possession to, to far better effect than what we had done, particularly on the Frank Lampard in the past, Rafa Benitez, and, and a, a long line of previous managers. So I don't get... If we've been beaten 6-0 in our possession stats for 20 against AC, I'd be concerned. But mm. you know, when the end product is, we're getting points and making progress, then I'm, I'm not too disheartened by that. Obviously, like a number of fans in the same, in the second half, there was a kind of feeling that we were sitting back a bit too much. But as poor Paul wrestlers appear, Paul, that's just how uh, you get the lead and it has the team set up to defend that lead and maybe try and get the odd chance on the break. If I had one criticism, maybe we didn't try to test them on the break enough. In the second half, but maybe that's just because they had so much possession of the ball. We didn't really get the opportunities to build on that lead. So, the possession that you 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 can spend days poring over it, getting all sorts of interpretations. But I think it just comes down to the bottom to the bottom line of when you have the ball, are you using the ball effectively? Are you getting? Are you making the transitions happen quickly, are you getting the ball from defence to midfield to attacking in, in, in the most efficient, fastest manner possible, rather than just pass, 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 and then playing it back to pick for, for the, a big hoop up front? So uh, I'm not too discouraged by the possessions that.
2: I think as well, Sean Dyche, when it's 0-0 and when it was 1-1, he, he went for the win a lot more. You know what I mean? He was going for the goal. Oh. He, he went, for, went for the early goal. Uh, there was one or two chances before we scored. And then as as soon as we were pegged back, he made the subs And we we know he scored actually, didn't we? We know it just from that just from a corner, uh, I think it was yeah. we, we came quite close, didn't we, near the yeah? You know, so it wasn't like he's like, oh, okay, that, that'll will do one one. He's that's his plan. He he get get gets ahead in the game, he's comfortable trying to play in the counter-attack. In fairness, we counted quite a lot in the game. Uh, there's like decent chance of Dwight McNeil, or the relatively, relatively decent chance of Dwight McNeil anyway, but I think there were so many opportunities to play that. That's one thing we need to get better about. and I think that's the start of limitations of quality in the squad. Really, you know, that there was a lot of opportunities to play the ball, play the right ball. We missed the pass, or we get it wrong, and then we're having to reset again. Um, so, you know, if we're just digging in and not trying them things, then then you're more concerned. But because there's opportunities to play and opportunities to break and better personnel or more time working with this personnel at least, then yeah, you, know, you think that'll more goals will come playing like that as well. I think if we can get the goal, uh, get, get ahead in the game. So I've no problem with the way, with the way he's, playing. If, if he's like that from the first, from the first whistle, like, just dig in, nil, nil. What <laughs> that'll do, then, then you'd be worried. <laughs> yeah. But that, that's not the case at all. Yeah, I mean, creating a lot of chances, and that's with the with the XG. I'm not a big fan of that XG thing, but it's 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 meaning something to us this season because we're we're nearly always ahead of the other team with XG. Um, so it's obviously creating more opportunities. And um, just on Jarrod Vanthu, there was one bit in that game, um, which I recall when when as you said Lyndon it maybe wasn't his best game, then. The player got away from him. It might have been Ferguson. He just instantly just dragged him straight back. <laughs> and like,
0: "I just
2: love that shitty way." He's like, "You're not going anywhere." <laughs> I mean, just um, and we said it the other week. I like that. He's got that little bit of nastiness in him, and that was just a, just a, just exemplified that straight away. It was, uh, yeah, he's he's looking like a really really good player. But as I say, hard to be critical um, of Daesh. And uh, again, another day. It's a brilliant win, isn't it? Really, you know, it's um, if uh, you know that doesn't that deflects into the side net and or onto the ball or something like that and then then you're probably looking at a good win really because they didn't create a lot of t- much at all for, for all their possessions. So yeah, I I, I can live with this 20% possession <laughs> if we if we get the first goal.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I kind of I come I come down on it, has got to of both sides. Uh, I think uh, if if as, as a long term goal I would like us obviously to be more of a possession based team purely for the fact that you know watching the opposition play the ball around or, or you know play through us for eighty percent of the time does is, does not make the greatest of of spectacles I think obviously as I said before it's kind of needs must at the moment we are where we are um Deitch clearly has you know a um had a remake when he came in to make us harder to beat which he's done uh and uh, yeah again the results so far have been speaking for themselves um you know so brighton really are kind of and i agree with you xg is you know it's it's it's, it's a metric but uh, you know you shouldn't get too hung up on it but you know brighton being the kind of the xg kings it was nice to you know to, to to beat them at their own game so to speak and you know as you said paul uh, paul m we did restrict them to very very little and still came out with with the, the better attacking metrics i think the issue that we had and paul tu you, you kind of touched on it when you talked about personnel is that I think we would have actually had more of the possession had we had the players themselves actually just been better with the ball. I think that in the second half, a lot of it was a bit too rushed, a bit too panicked. Um, a lot of balls kind of went went astray, and I think that was part of the reason why we weren't actually able to test them more than we actually did was the fact that uh, you know it was just they kind of lost their composure a bit, and in the end ended up looking like they were kind of just dug in for for to hold out just for a one nil when I think that Deitch, obviously, his, his goal would have been to, to, to score another one um, and and sort of kill the game. So, yeah, I think uh, for now, when when it's all about results, and particularly until we've got this independent commission thing out the way and we know whether we're clear of points, penalties, all the rest of it, um, I think for now, when we need the points, fair enough. I think when we go deeper into it um, and we kind of know the relegation if we know that relegation isn't going to be an issue, then I would think um, I'd like to see us be a bit more expansive and a bit more, um, you know, a bit, bit better with the ball. But I think all that can come. Um, and that kind of leads me on to, the, to one of the other issues that's sort of, sort of thrown up out of the game was the issue of the right back selection, specifically Ashley Young um, playing, what was it, 90 minutes really for, for the second time in, in, in four days and, um, what did you, Paul, and what did you make of, of that selection? Where do you kind of come down on the Ashley Young versus Nathan Patterson debate as it stands right now?
1: Uh, I've kind of got a, got a fuss on both camps in this one, I say, Lyndon. Uh, I mean, there's no doubt, Ashley as Young has that experience. And uh, uh, when he's on the top of his game, he he is definitely an asset to, to to the back four there. I thought he had one of his better games on Saturday against Brighton as well. But he's 38 years old, and so... You know, there's always going to be a question when you've got two games in four, in four days, should he be playing the full 90 minutes? So if I had one kind of criticism of uh, of Deutsch on Saturday, it would be that possibly Patterson should have come on for Astor Young, maybe on, on 75 minutes. On the other hand, if had watched last season's game against Bryson, I, and... Watch how Matoma absolutely destroyed Patterson. I was going to mention that, yeah. <laughs> maybe you had the view that this was not the time to bring, to bring Patterson on because until that deflection, I thought Akshung had coped with Matoma quite well. And going back to that goal, uh, I know I'm deviating slightly here. I mean, Jack Harrison... Uh, sorry, Harrison just didn't come back and cover the way he should have I mean, Mateo just turned them inside out. There was no challenge, no attempt to block it. And that straight away, that gave Mateo the chance to put the ball in. So I think, you know, H- Harrison has the elements of responsibility for that goal as well. And Aston Young was just unfortunate. And I still think Pifford could have got that, you know. And I know it, it, it kind of looked quite awkwardly. I know that's a separate debate. But long term, Patterson is the answer. There's no question about that. And I think as once. We get back to football after the international break and the games start flowing quickly when they've got the league cup campaign as well fa cup two two fixes a week for a number of weeks until the next international break in march i think there's going to be more and more of a of a, of a rotation between Patterson and Ashley young but Considering the problems we've had finding a replacement for Seamus Comer at right back, he's actually quite good to have some options that they've never had before. And I never viewed Ashley Young as being a regular first team starter. I always, when we balls him, I just assumed he'd be there as a squad player who come in as and when needed. But I think his performances generally have justified his selection. So it's good to have a bit of competition in those places. Uh, if you ask me who'd have preferred the most, I'd probably just err on the side of Ashley Young in terms of experience but Patterson can learn so much from working with Ashley Young as well and uh, one thing uh, Ashley Young did do that Patterson has done is he, he's a goal for he? he scored that goal in the league as well mm-hmm. he, so, so he, he does a, offer another alternative there as well but it, it, it's, um, it's a good debate to have and, and, and uh, in some ways as Football fans can be quite ageist, and I think young is an easy target <laughs> because he's yeah. thirty-eight. People oh, always too slow. He's past this, that, and the other, and and that could well be the case. But you, you look at quality players like Paolo Maldini, who played well you know, in, into his forties. So mm-hmm. if you've got the skill, if you've got the ability, and the team is set up to compensate for for maybe the fact that you are that little bit older, then I, I don't have a problem with that. So. At the moment, I'd say sixty percent Ashton Young, 40 percent Nathan Patterson. But to be honest, these days with, with the way Dice is the team says so up, I'm happy you know with those two people filling in. it's quite interesting that last night Seamus Coleman played sixty minutes yep. for the under twenty ones, and it just set me wondering. You know, is it an outside chance because he came on the bench at the weekend? Possibly, yeah.
2: That'll be a boost for everyone having just having him around the squad, wouldn't it, Seamus Coleman? That'll be a uh... That'd be great. Maybe, maybe he will. I mean, is he dice fit? Though is the thing. <laughs> he's he, he, he's, he's going like, to get, get a full full season of getting fit before you, you get fit <laughs> enough to be involved. Um, that's well surmised, Paul. Um, I kind of kind of kind of agree with all of that. Really. The. Uh, it's a funny thing you say about ageists. My um, few mates call them Ashley Old. Um, so, like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it kind, of, kind, of, kind of says it all. I, I thought if, if you're on know, like two, two games in a week for Ashley Young might have been a bit too much, and perhaps it was. I was surprised he played against Burnley. I thought that was, yeah, you know, P- Patterson got better as the game went on against West Ham, and it felt like an opportunity to give Patterson. It wasn't like Ashley Young really needed the game on Wednesday or Tuesday, whatever it was, against Burnley. Um, so that that seemed like more of an opportunity to play and give 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 um give Patterson you know more game time, um than having having Ashley Young play the whole ninety minutes against Burnley and then have to play the whole night. Well, he came off at the end, didn't he? But you know, play play all that time. Did he come off actually, or did did uh, Jack Havison come off and did Young get pushed further forward towards the end against the? Yeah, yeah so I think we, that's what happened. Yeah,
3: yeah,
2: yeah. So we didn't even come off, right? So, so yeah, so, <laughs> so, so um, yeah. But I know you. I know uh, Lyndon. You haven't been the biggest fan of Ashley Young. I think mean, that's probably fair to say. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think he's.
3: The,
2: I, I think he's very good positionally. That's what I like about him most. Probably he doesn't really get caught out too often, unlike, apart from as he did at the end of the game on Saturday, I guess, I think not not a lot really gets past them like diagonally in the air or anything like that. Like, he just tends to hold his ground quite well. Sean Dice obviously trusts him defensively more so than Nathan Patterson and I can understand that to to an extent. Um, you just hope that Patterson gets opportunities and continues to get opportunities as the season wears on, particularly when you look into that, you know, that busy period coming up, um, if he's just playing Young, flogging them to death then, and then, then that, that, that will probably come back to bite us at some point, you imagine. But yeah, I think I'm probably etching towards Ashley Young myself also, actually.
3: Yeah, I mean, my thing with the, the Young and Patterson debate is that, um, you know, I say this again, this is this is more kind of a longer term thing is that obviously, Ashley Young isn't the future whereas Nathan Patterson is and I could just, concerned that the amount of the amount of times that the Young is preferred to Nathan Patterson is just a bit concerning for me, and just in terms of Patterson's development. I completely agree that he Patterson should have started against Burnley. I was very surprised that he, that he didn't. And I think that's... It just sort of makes me concerned that either there's a, um, there's too much of an emphasis from from Deitch on the experience part of it, or maybe there's just some stipulation that when Ashley Young signed, he said, look, I'll sign, but I want to play. And maybe that's maybe that's what's what, what's happened there, um, but I agree with you, Paul. that Once those games start coming thick and fast through the winter period, then when injuries uh, start um, coming into play, and, and there are just sort of simply more games and fatigue, that I think we will see far more squad rotation. And probably Sheamus comes into the equation then as well. And then you've got three of them all battling for it, um, which again is probably not something that Nathan Patterson's <laughs> looking forward to. Is ending <laughs> up potentially being number three on the. Uh, uh in the pecking order um uh, yeah i mean where, where young is concerned i think that um, positionally i think i had problems with him when he was playing left back i found that he's that he struggled positionally and uh, funny you say about the diagonal balls i found that the diagonal balls were going over his head when he was playing left back less so when he was when he was right back so i think if if there is going to be a place for him in the team that i i prefer him on the right and as for um Saturday's game, I thought I actually thought that he didn't actually look that fatigued, which is which really is a credit to his to his yeah. his conditioning and his fitness at, at that age. Um, I actually thought that Harrison, like it was the case against Villa, that Harrison should have been the one to make way and maybe push Young yeah. further forward and bring Patterson on as as sort of some some fresh legs, uh, and then the two of them could have you know sort of locked down Batoba together because I didn't think that Harrison had the best of games once again. Still kind of waiting for. The player that I thought that he was to emerge, um, particularly from uh, from an attacking standpoint, um, but you know, still early days, plenty of time to for him to sort of find his feet. Um, just on the question of substitutions, I think well, I think might have been you, Paul T, who touched on it already. But Paul um, what, what are your where do you sort of come down on on Deitch's substitution policy? Do you think that uh, I mean I, I think. He would, he would argue, most people would argue, that's right at the, at the moment, with the results generally being the way they are, that he's, that, that there's not much argument with the way that, that he sort of <laughs> refuses to bring on players. But would you like to see him sort of change things up a bit more or are you just prepared to let him, let him run with it?
1: I think hand on hard, I think most fans would like to see more more use of substitutions in games because I just think in the modern game pl- players put in so much time and effort that you know, they, they, they can just become a little bit wear a little bit fatigued and a fresh pair of legs always I, I think substitutions also help when you need the crowd to get on side as well you know you've you know, been on yeah. two or three new players it gives them a big chip breaks the play up a little bit so I, I think there's no argument like for that I mean I can I can kind of understand it's kind of old school methodology here. That why would I want to change a team that's doing well and winning? Why would I want to shut that? I can see that, but I just think in the modern game that you, there's no time for breathers in the modern game, particularly. So players are running constantly, marking constantly, trying to read the game constantly. So personally, and obviously I'm not a football manager, I've, I've, <laughs> I've, I've always been quite keen on using substitutes to make it you know, to make an impact. It's quite interesting because Frank Lampard never used substitutes that much either, so mm-hmm. uh, whether it's more a reflection of the players on the bench that, you know, Sean Dyson has got a starting eleven and come hell or high water, they're staying on to the end of the game unless they need to make some changes. I don't know because I think as both you and Paul in have indicated, Lyndon, I think Dyson has players that he trusts in the squad, to Young being one of those as well, and maybe he's a bit reluctant to make changes when he doesn't quite implicitly have the same confidence in the players are bringing on compared to the players are taking off. Interesting message there about uh, Jack Haveston as well, because I agree with you. I thought you had a really poor game uh, on Saturday. And uh, I was looking at the bench thinking, well, Dan Juma could come on possibly as a sub here. But then again, Dan Juma had a really poor game in the League Cup match against yes, Burnley. So, yeah. so, so so you kind of understand the reluctance you know, to, 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 to make that decision. Well, one thing I wanted to consider definitely was, I think, you no. Know, uh, him better on maybe a little bit earlier might have just given the crowd a bit of a boost, a bit of a lift, and, and given Brighton something more to deal with because Dominic around himself is the ground for the best part of 85 minutes. So I, I think maybe better coming on at an stage might have had an impact. But, you know, it's a results business. Now, if you're defending Sean Dice, you're saying, well, by not making these substitutions, you know, he's guessing the club is making progress and certainly compared to where we were this time last year just for the world cup stars when we had those two crushing defeats to bournemouth and there's a real sense of woe uh, and, and fear amongst everton fans it's good that with the next international break coming up there's a bit of co- there's confidence that the, that that the dice manner the dice system the dice tactics are, start, are starting to to work and we can actually see the progress is being made because I know that after the Luton Town game, the Dice came in for quite just a while. we got a fair amount of criticism. And I think he's reacted to that, he's responded to that. And the, and the team that's played in the last few matches is unrecognisable from the team that collapsed at home against Luton.
2: It's it's night and day from from a year ago, isn't it? <laughs> that's played <Yeah. that's laughs> play yes. from them, too. Sorry, the feet Bournemouth. I hadn't I, I obviously it must have been because it's November but like uh it hadn't occurred to me actually that, that you know it was a year since um, since then and uh yeah it, it shows how far he's come i suppose that was a, a real sorry you know real sorry state and again it, the the Brighton defeat last season not too far off a year ago as well it's quite symbolic really the if you look at them two games of uh, the progress that we've um, we've made I mean now Daisha, i don't think he's ever really made a lot of substitutions i think stats suggest that. I saw. I remember one of the first conferences, first conferences. He defended himself with that. Say, well, Pep Guardiola doesn't make. Yeah, he doesn't make many changes. So I was like, yeah, but he's <laughs> got some pretty good players there. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I think it's certainly a thing where, though. I mean, you're looking at some of the some of the um, the suggestions you, you just made, Paul, on who we could bring in and who we could have changed. A lot a lot of it feels a lot square pegs round hole still, doesn't it? What you're asking players to do and, ask, and well you could do that, but I mean, is it is it the most ideal thing? And one thing I would say about defenders, it's it can be it's probably the toughest position, perhaps goalkeeper, to come straight into a game to. You know what I mean? And just have to say, especially a, a game which you're defending for most of. Um so if you're just saying to I don't know, seventy minutes, all right, ask the young right, you're off, you're you you're a bit tired. Nathan Patterson, good luck, mate. In you go. It's not easy for that lad, young lad, to just slot straight in there. Now, similarly, similar, even if you're saying, okay, the Young, right, okay, yeah, you're, you're staying on, but you're going to go up on the right wing now, Patterson, you, you've got to go right back. Well, that's tough. I mean, in a way, I'd probably rather say, like, Patterson, you stick on the right wing and you, you tuck back. you took back. you switching positions around because, you're right, Jack Harrison, which, yeah, he was running around, trying hard, but he didn't do anything really, did he? He, he, was, he was just working hard and staying in shape. Now, you stick Dan Juma on, he's not the slightest, I don't think he's that got to player who's going to stay in shape. You know what I mean? So it's, um, and that, that's a tricky thing. That's where, some extra legs would be handy, but you need to be, the players in the right positions. Shame we haven't got Alex Iwobi. You know what I mean? For example, that would, yeah, that would have been, you know, a, a, yeah, a good change up, and probably would have started if somebody needed to come off. You've got Harrison to come on. It's them sort of things that were just completely missing because the, the squad is so small. Similarly, one, one well, midfielder gone in and on. we haven't really got anyone else to come in i mean let, let's kind of ignore Andre gomez because when we when we realistically oh, expect him to see him it's a shame we don't even have like a tom davis to come in just for just for them you know i mean little things like that so we just don't have the squad um i'm sure he would make some more changes if he had more players like for liking positions but they just they just don't exist in the squad at the moment and i think that's the, uh, the biggest problem so you just gotta keep them so to say again, dice fit and <laughs> just keep them yeah, as, as fit as he possibly can. And uh, certainly the fitness levels again, the night and day on the year ago, aren't they? So um, it's hard to be, I, I think with what he's got, it's hard to be too critical really about, about stuff like that myself.
3: I think that's exactly I think The two key points there are just the, the lack of real sort of game changing or really solid options that you could bring off the bench and you know, the other thing is that the, the moment results are speaking for themselves, and mm-hmm. <laughs> as you said, Paul, it's uh, the, the, the change from a year ago. You know, if 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 we if our concern back then, if we looked at it, looked ahead, and said our concern in the years' time will be whether <laughs> whether we should have beaten Brighton and Hove and home instead of settling for a one on draw, I think we would. <laughs> I think we would have taken it. We definitely would have taken it. But um, you're looking ahead to. Um, to the to our trip to Crystal Palace, which I'm trying to remember the last time we won down there. It's been a while, but um, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect too many changes. I think pretty much we we all be agreed that if Amadou Ananas fit, then he comes back into the side, which is an interesting switch from I think maybe a month ago where we were still wondering what was the best kind of midfield combination there. What do you think, Paul Lamb?
1: Yeah, I have to say, I, I was particularly in the pro-Nana camp for the first few games of the season. It kind of felt he drifted out of games. He wasn't having an impact. He wasn't being influential enough. And what kind of changed my view was his performance starts from the Derby game. Of course, he had a really commanding game in the Derby match Liverpool. Yeah. I thought he was outstanding against uh, against West Ham as well. So uh, I think since the Derby game, he, he, he's really come on. And maybe, I think what might help as well, I mean, I think before the Bournemouth game, Dice had dropped them, hadn't he? Put him on the bench, and then just again pulled out through through injury before the game starts, and that gave Onana his chance. Now maybe, maybe that was just a wake up call. Onana needed that look. Yeah, you know, uh, Dice might be saying this suddenly. Look, I, I know I've not got m- many midfield options, so that must you know. And but either way, unless you deliver, there's other people I can bring in. I'm prepared to take a chance on. So, yeah, he has been much improved, and I, I think. Uh, I think we definitely missed him on Saturday because he does bring that power and drive to the midfield. And you know, we talked before about transitions, counter attack, moving the ball from defence to attack quite quickly. And I think he's very effective in that role as well and also offers an additional layer of cover when the opposition is in possession. So I would definitely bring him back in for the game at Crystal Palace. Uh, I think looking at the midfield, he. he if, if I have one criticism of an order, I just think for a guy his size is set pieces, he should be causing a lot more problems for yeah. opposition defences. And his goal tally needs improving. You, you kind of, maybe it's a bit unfair to compare to, to Fellaini, for example, but you know, the, the, there's a world of distance between the threat those two pose and those, those kind of situations. But he's a young player. And I think sometimes when I mentioned before about. Everson fans being ageist. I also think Everson fans also have high, too high expectations of young players sometimes, because Ronaldo's only 21-22. He's going to get better. Yeah, you, you have to you know, be patient with him. And I think when Lampard him, we weren't quite sure what we were getting. I, I think this is because there's going to a bit of a question more, uh, uh, about Anana, but I thought last few games he played really well. I, I, I would definitely bring him back into the midfield. Uh and I think you know, the other, I think the lack of options that both you and Paul have outlined there, and the bench makes changing the, the squad a little a little bit difficult because, you know, as, as Paul T mentioned there, about fist and square pegs into round holes. So, you know, I was wondering whether it's this a, a you know a, a time to be in Dan Juman for Harrison? But I'm not actually sure if that's going to be an improvement or not. So, I think I'd be inclined to stick with the team starts against Brighton with the swap of Onana for Adjussi
2: uh, gate Yeah, that's probably right. And I would say Adjussi had a pretty good game, though, as well. He uh, did. did. Yeah. He, he, did, did yeah. Yeah. he did, yeah. yeah. Um, but are Palace going to be as dominant on the ball as, as uh, Brighton were? I doubt that. So... You know, it, I think that sort of game's quite tailor made for just a guy. That, that's when he's kind of in his element, isn't it? When he's just like, you know, snapping around, trying to put pressure on players, trying to, you know, making tackles. And he, okay, obviously that's that's always very helpful. But like, I think it was um, an absolute kind of a. It'd be interesting to see actually what the what the um the team would have been had or not have been fit. Would they have you wanted both of them in there against them against their Brighton? We don't know, do we? Obviously. Um, but yeah, I think. And bringing the back in, it's, it's an international break just after that, isn't it? So, um, yeah. you know, I think our best chance to win the game is probably with Anana in that midfield. I think we've got a better chance of winning it than with Gay in the midfield, I'd say that. So, I don't think you'll need that um, as much tenacity as we had against against um, against the Crystal Palace, um, as, as we did against um, against Brighton. I think with Anana um, and, um, and Garner and there, you can probably... Yeah, probably cope cope pretty well, I think. So, uh, yeah, I think you're right. Bringing Onana in for Gay would, yeah, probably be the, the the solution there. I think, yeah.
3: Yeah, I feel like this one's going to be a bit more like the Brentford game. And it's funny, I was just mm-hmm. looking at the team sheet. It's it's Gay, Onana, and Garner all um, James Garner all played in that game.
2: Like Garner on the right. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, Garner on the yeah. right. Now, obviously, I mean, I I think that the, the Jack Harrison certainly from the uh, work rate point of view hasn't disappointed, and I think that would be the argument for keeping him certainly over Dan Juma, who doesn't have the same. He just he's just not as industrious a player, uh, and I think both of them are capable of, of creating goals and scoring goals. So if that in that respect, it's a good um, problem to have. But I would I think I would persist with um, with Harrison. And yeah, like you, Paul T. I would I would just bring in um, Onana for K and that would be the uh, the only change that I would make.
2: Just while it occurs to me as well, changing the subject slightly, um, because it was like just come for the life of me, remember it, whether it was uh, I missed it, whether I nipped to the toilet, or it was just a little bit too late watching the match <laughs> on Saturday. What's the what was the penalty? The penalty with uh, which Sean Dyche was talking about for Dominic Calvert Lewin. You saying we felt we should have had a penalty, but I cannot recall it for the life of me. What? What
1: were, you, what, what were your thoughts on whether we, that should have been a penalty or not? Yeah, it was one where he was kind of grappling with this with one of the defenders just inside the, the penalty area, wasn't it? Uh, I mean, from, from, where, from where I was, I didn't even have a clear view of it. So, you know, i I'd probably have the same decisions as I'm Artificial from that perspective, to be honest. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, it, the, 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 the type of decisions that either go in your favour or go against you. Uh, so. Yeah, I, I, obviously you're going to say the penalty was given to you, but yeah. I, I wasn't. Conv- I wasn't convinced it was no nail on penalties, To be honest, having said that, we've see the penalties also that I think being been less of a penalty than that. So it, it really <laughs> depends on, on who's in charge on the day, which way the wind's blowing, all sorts of variables you have no control over. Yeah, there were. Um, I
3: think there were. Th- not only was there the, the issue that the referee, which was Tim Robinson, I think was recently promoted from the, from the yeah. championship. I mean, I think that the general opinion of him was that he was poor uh, for the uh, on the day. And there were th- three, I think three different penalty appeals. I think there was a, a handball appeal. There was the one when Dwight McNeil got flattened. Mm-hmm. Uh, all all I think, one, yeah. yeah, the consensus I think was uh, based on the, on the analysis on the, on the commentary that I was watching was that someone had sort of knocked – Van Hecke into him, and that was kind of so. It wasn't sort of a, a direct foul, and then the, obviously there was that third one, which with uh, I think it was the same player grappling yeah. with his, kind of with his arms around Calvert Lewin. But you know, it, it would have been soft. But then, as you said, Paul M, we've had soft decisions against us, and you know, it's it's just frustrating. I think uh, on balance, we probably shouldn't have got a penalty for any of those three. But it does kind of, it does kind of get us off get us onto the, uh, the issue that I wanted to finish with today. And that <laughs> is, that is uh, VAR because it, it certainly seems like it's never been more controversial. Uh, I don't know if either, either of you saw the game between Tottenham and Chelsea, uh, but that certainly felt like we were watching our show rather than a Premier League football match. And I mean, with all the stops and standing around, I mean, it felt a lot more like the NFL version of Monday night, <laughs> the English one. Uh, now, now, we all know why VAR was introduced to begin with, but, I mean, is it now just too intrusive? Should it be scaled back? Or is it just a question of, of making sure that the people implementing it get better?
1: It's probably all those, isn't it, London? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I've always been a firm advocate that I, I don't think the, the Premier League pool referee should be the one doing the VAR officiating that. I, I think it's a different skill. In terms of you trying to spot things on the screen, they're different to what, to, to what you spot when you're actually uh, in the stadium itself, and I think it's a different level of training as well. Uh, so I've always you know, wondered whether that might be a, a possible way forward. I've also had these wondered whether you know sh- should we bring in officials from a different European league to do the VAR decisions? So because I think I think that there is I think there's a warning that there? there's elements of that. Um, you're trying to protect your friends, almost. You, you don't want to go against a, a decision, particularly because you're they, they all train together, they all meet together. It's, there has to be a camaraderie amongst them. There's no question about that. Uh, it was quite interesting, wasn't it? I do we saw uh, you had post Posticov interview after the end of the game and his kind of response as well. You now, I'm not going to I'm not going to say anything about the officials of all because I've had good decisions in my career, I've had bad decisions in my career. At the end of the day, you have to respect the referee's decision. But what I would say is. Uh, I guess, London, you wouldn't have taken that much interest in the Rugby Union World Cup?
3: Oh, I I saw the semi final and the final, so
1: yeah. But Mia, what your view was about the officiating there? But what I loved about that was you could hear the conversation between the officials in the bunker and the match referee. You knew clearly why the decision had been made. You might not have agreed with the decision, and there was one or two contentious decisions, particularly in the final. But at least you understood the rationale behind it, Mm -hmm. and you were part of that. You could hear the conversation taking place. Uh, So, I think I think that we. Football has a lot to learn from other sports in terms of making it more open and accessible to the paying customer. Because one of the things that really does annoy me is if I'm watching, I'm watching the like you watch watching Tottenham Chelsea game at home. I find out what the VAR decision is at home before the fans in the stadium do, and to me, on every level, that is wrong. The fans in the stadium should know the decision before the television viewer knows the decision. Uh, so. You've got a lot of experience from watching the NFL like likes Linden in the States. So you yeah. you, you can't you, you kind of know how these things that wants to become embedded in the sport, they're not going to go away. Mm-hmm. So, you know, VAR is here. So we have, we have, we have one, improve the technology, because this idea that they're still drawing lines for offside, that, that just bemuses me totally. I just don't get that. Two. The cameras on the stadium have to be better quality. So then I watched the Newcastle game on Saturday in the second half. And yeah. once again, VAR couldn't make a decision because it did not have the correct camera angle. So in that case, you're saying, well, you look at sports like tennis where you know, the, the the touchline technology, the baseline technology is absolutely spot on. Mm-hmm. So that's another area that needs looking at as well. I think we saw in the World Cup how well the semi-all space offside system worked. And I think more and more, if we're going down the line using VAR, it more and more has to be, the decisions made by the technology, not by a person judging the technology. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, that, I think it's kind of it's it got to the point. It's kind of got to be a little bit all or nothing because it's it's gone so it, it, it it's so flaky whichever way you got it. And if yeah, you're right. The more automated sort of offsides seem to work um, work, work work a lot better. It's gone a bit mad this last few days. I mean, <clears throat> what hasn't helped? I don't think is like we've had. A, two of the more high profile managers in the league fuming go mad about sort of like some decisions going away but more than happy to let things go for them you know what I mean? and that's um <laughs> and, and, and that's it it, it it just can't work uh it, it, just, it just can't work like that we need VAR, i think in my opinion i don't think we can really go back to it just being like oh well you know Oh, we oh, we got hard onto there, etc. I mean, look at like the Doncaster game for example earlier this season. That lad was miles offside when he headed the ball and, ball in against us. linesmen should see that he didn't. But that it's it, it things that you need picking up. Now, do we want it? it, it should it just be for the howlers? Yeah, you know, and and uh, should, should should that be enough? Like they got like like we got for the goal line technology. Do we really need these lines on screen for when there's like, it's such a borderline line off I mean, okay, we got away with one. If that's, if that's the case, I suppose on Saturday, but um, do we really need to sort of, if the lines hasn't put his flag up, do we really need to split decision? And likewise, if the line, should it shouldn't be a case if the linesman has put his flag up and it's really close, if he looks narrowly off. Okay, fine. But if he hasn't put his flag up, should there be a case of like, well, bit too tight to call. So let's call <laughs> it a goal. Yeah. I mean, maybe that should be, maybe, maybe that should be the, the way to do it. I don't know I've, I've loved. I'd like to see the idea of like a like a challenge system from like you know like a you know like yeah. a, in, yeah. I've, yeah. that's yeah. never been you know where you so they get you, you get one review maybe and then if you, if you get it right you keep it if you get it wrong you lose it more punishment for diving you know I mean because that that seems like seems like players are trying anything now to feign a bit of contact to just be like oh well I might might get away with it now I might just get a penalty out of it you know so. um, but they've made a mess of it. I think, I, think that's, I think that's one thing we can probably all certainly agree on. It's, it's really, it's not helping the game at the moment. And it's just, um, no one's really talking anymore really so often, are they, about like, well, what a performance that was or how good was that game. It's nearly always the subject comes back to VAR and someone feeling hard done to nearly every game. So um, they've got a lot of uh, they've got a lot of thinking to do and a lot of repairing to do. Um, I don't know how they're going to do it, quite frankly. But yeah. Um, I could talk forever about about the issues. I'll <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll I think, and take over. I'm sure he's got plenty to say.
3: <laughs> I think we I think we all could. And you know, yeah. it's you know, I, you, whenever there's a change, you always hope that that change is going to be for the better. So you know, Howard Webb coming in, you'd think there'd be someone who'd been looking at this from afar, and with his experience, it could have come in and, and say, "Look, this is how we're going." It. But it's it's got worse. And you know, while it's it seems to be it seems to have sort of found its level on the continent. I mean, it it is just getting more and more fussy, more and more forensic, more and more controversial in the Premier League. You know, with every with each passing week, my issue my issue with the VARs, how far away they are from a match. Sometimes it's you know hundreds of miles away. You, you know, there's the, you've you sort of gone away from the fact that the referee on the pitch has the sort of the temperature of the game. And you know can apply a bit of common sense and can sort of have a feel for just how the players are reacting, uh, and then they they can kind of tailor their um, their decisions to that. And I think one of the biggest problems for me is that the referee on the pitch is obviously seeing things in in in, uh, in live play, and then the VAR is analysing things in slow motion, and, and slow motion puts a completely different spin on things. Um, and I just feel that, and I, lots of people have made this 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 um, This point as well that they just seem to be finding ways ways to rule goals out, rather than allowing them to stand. And and I think that we've gone away from the clear and obvious thing, and now we are just trying to find some way of making what someone determines is the right decision, based on watching something twenty times. You know, and it's this that we just move more and more away from the spirit of the game. And I think that's the. quite apart from the fact that we've just got so many disruptions and everyone's standing around. And as you said, Paul, people in, in the stadium really have no idea what's going on. It it feels as though VAR was, has been made for the television audience more than the back-going the, the, the fan. And that is perhaps the biggest the biggest tragedy of it all. It's because that magic of a goal, particularly a, a last-minute goal and a last-minute winner, which, you know, is in football one of the greatest things, and everyone just sort of takes a sharp intake of breath and said, Okay, well, we can't properly celebrate yet because someone a couple hundred miles away has got to watch this 25 times to make sure that you know it didn't brush someone's arm. And I don't know. I mean, as, as you said, Paul T, we could, we could talk about this all night, um, <laughs> but I think for me, I would just like a far, far more hands off approach, um, save it for the really, really obvious um, errors. Uh, the technology for the semi semi automated offside is there, so the Premier League should implement it. Um, rely on that, keep the goal line technology, and I would just say try and get the rest of it as far out of the game as possible. You know, and, and, and again, just focus on the on the really clear and obvious errors.
2: One which drives me mad though is the offsides. Is that like sometimes like the linesman's flagger go up and then and uh they'll just stop immediately the whistle will blow and, and they'll stop immediately. other times the of flag will go up and they'll just, they'll just play on and and you and and then uh, a goal might come for it might not whatever but the ones which when the flag goes up you'll never know if it's offside or not or, or, or it should have been it it brings <laughs> it, it, like that it's it, the, the lack of consistency with that just drives it mad. but i, I just kind of love it to be this thing where like there's like some automatic like zzz, <laughs> somewhere like that and it's just like you know, it, it's um just done instantly you can sure the technology is there because like you can just instantly call it or something like that because just to keep it fair and transparent, cause it's just, it's just maddening. And you, um, you say like, Oh, the, the, uh, it, it's, it's almost already an age old debate of like, um, uh, Oh, get the, the people in the crowd, can't get to hear what's going on. That's certainly true. But even the people at home, can't get to hear what's going on all the conversations You get to finally no, get to see no. it. You hear the commentator going, oh, oh, I'm hearing what they're saying here. But like, well, why can't we hear what, what you're saying? It's, um, that, and it's just, I don't know. I, I can't think of how they could have made it as badly as they have. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's what I'm trying to Yeah, no, that, that, that's true. absolutely
1: right, Paul. Um, yeah. I mean, Lindy, going, going back to what both Hugh and Paul have been saying there as well. Yeah, I, I think Sky Sports loves VAR. Because it generates yeah. lots of conversations, yeah. Lots, yeah. Of clicks, lots of clicks, low social media. For them is perfect. And so they're quite happy to so when Arteta comes out with a mouthful of that, they love all that because you know it boosts the profile of the game, the mm. sports, and they get lots of interaction and you no know, presume absorb results of more subscribers wanting to to sign up for the service as well. So yeah, they've kind of created a they kind of created a monster here that they haven't not realized what they've unleashed because when it was first came into the, uh, public, you know, in, 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 into the public domain in the 2018 World Cup. I think most of us were quite happy it worked in the 2018 World Cup. There was minimal intervention. Most of the decisions were correct, and we kind of thought we were getting a simpler version here. But as both you and Paul have been saying, Lyndon, you know, when, when you watch the game now, you, you don't know whether to celebrate a goal or not because your first reaction now is to look at the screen to make sure there's no VAR check going on. Yeah. And that can't be right on any level.
3: Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. And what you were saying, Paul T, about the the, the referee, the linesman not putting his flag up at in one instance and then not. I think, which game was it? It was one of the two. Within two minutes, there was an instance where he didn't put his flag up and it actually turned out, I think, from the replay, that the player was probably onside. And then he didn't The, uh, the two minutes later. So it's just, you know, that's another issue. Is there's just the lack of consistency, which... We as Evertonians know all too well is is a major problem, but uh, yeah, we could uh, we could discuss this all night. So probably just leave it there and wrap it up. Wrap it up on that note. Um, thank you to both Pauls for their company and insight. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening and for your continued support of the podcast. Uh, if you're going down to South London on Saturday, or maybe you're listening to us on your journey down, uh, safe travels. Until next time, Blues. All the best, and up those toughies.